Okay, hey everybody, Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back once again to Game Dev Breakdown. You didn't hear from me last week, and there's not one reason for that. There are many reasons for that, so I have been sick again. You'll pick that up, yes, again, and uh, things are completely derailed. But we're talking about projects, so I think the best thing we can do is take a close look at what that looks like for me, how I drag myself out of a derailment like that, and maybe how you can too. So let's jump in. Good evening, fans. Tim Kitzrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Here at the top of the show, let's talk about GDC, because just to get this out of the way, I won't be there this year. I'm usually not. Uh, I've only been to GDC once, and it was so I could do podcasts on site. That's something I hope I never do again, honestly. <laughs> uh, I know some of you will be there. Uh, I wish you guys the best. I hope you have a blast. I really do. I, I hope you have a great time. Uh, I've talked about this before. I went to the expo, so not the main show, but just the expo in 2018 at uh, Microsoft's invitation. I made some friends there. It was nice. Uh, it was very nice of them to reach out, but the event was kind of a disaster. Uh, it was before the Zoom life. So, you know, for someone like me, I can cover GDC remotely. Uh, if people offer to uh, do meetings or interviews or stuff, I can do it from right here. There's honestly no reason for me to go. So I will say this, uh, Informatech, who runs GDC, does have my personal information, and that has been a topic of interest around social media for a few days now. So if you follow my Twitter, you know that recently I started receiving offers to sell me GDC attendee data. I normally wouldn't think anything about this because uh, people offer things all the time, but three or four different times uh, they sent a cold email pretending to be someone who works in marketing. Hey, would you like to buy GDC attendee data, including all this stuff? address, employer, phone number, on and on. That alone is not a compelling reason to worry. Uh, people, again, people send offers through email all day and all night for things they couldn't possibly have. Uh, millions of dollars, jobs, companionship, What you know what I'm talking about here, but uh, two people have tried this in a short amount of time, and one was very persistent, like they had something they wanted to show me. Uh, a few days after the first email, they sent another one like, hey, I noticed you opened my first email. So can I send you sample data and pricing? And and uh, they included what looked like a read receipt for the first email. And the time did look like about when I opened it because I had tweeted about that around the same time. So my accounts are supposed to be set up to not send read receipts, uh, especially to random strangers who are trying to scam me. But first, I, I probably get email on five different devices, maybe closer to 10. Uh, and if one was configured incorrectly, allowing those receipts to go out, I would have no idea, honestly. Uh, this would also be easy to fake. They would know a person like me lives and dies on prompt email responses. So uh, that creates a sort of a narrow window where you could pick a random minute in the first 10 or 20 minutes after something was sent, make a fake read receipt. If you sent me that, I'm probably going to fall for it. Not that this lended any credibility to this whole thing, but it did get a rise out of me. Like I think they were hoping to. So, uh, but still I ignored it and I moved on with my life. 
Uh, but on the third one, I will admit I was pissed off. Like, why, why are you doing this? So, uh, I politely asked them to go fuck themselves and I tweeted something like, why do you have to push me to this point? Like, really? Um, that's when things started, that's when things started to get a little bit interesting. So every year there is a meeting and connection app for GDC, at least the last few years. And I noticed a director at EA tweeting that she had checked out the app and said her home address and phone number was listed clear as day on her profile in that app. She suggested people check that out right away and, you know, good luck with it. In my head, I thought, yes, I do still think what I received was just a toothless scam. But since we're on Twitter having conversations, I did grab one of the screenshots I took of one of my emails and I said, you know, I've been offered like four times by two people to sell me GDC attendee data this year, and I'm starting to worry they have it, you know, uh, because if if GDC slipped up and made info public, of course, somebody could go scrape that and create basic, basically recreate the database. So um, I didn't say anything untrue. I didn't speculate. I didn't assume anything. I stated a fact about my personal concern, and I noticed GDC official replied to OP saying they were looking into it. So, uh, naturally a total stranger felt the need to weigh in on my tweet. A producer in the industry felt the need to point out, uh, these emails go out every year. So, uh, it's possible they were able to access all this, but this isn't unusual. Okay. First of all, congratulations from all of us here that you go to GDC every year. Truly well done. Thank you for swooping in to let us know. Uh, second, if the thing I'm concerned about is possible, did you need to say anything? Of course, I understand it's possible this isn't happening. Thank you. Holy shit. Uh, something in my head went like, why is she defending GDC? And, and some little, some little voice in the back of my head went, she has for sure spoken at GDC. And sure enough, when I searched her name, she had spoken at GDC and now she feels the need to defend them to the death. So, uh, GDC did come back to OP and say, uh, we're, I say OP, the, the original poster. Uh, they came back to the original tweeter and said, uh, we verified that by default, your provided address and phone number are only visible to you. They're only seen by others if you accept a connection or meeting request, engage with a virtual sponsor in swap card, or your badge is scanned by a sponsor. Why you would let them do that, I'm not sure. In addition, you can edit your contact details anytime by logging into the GDC registration portal at the link here, which will be reflected in swap card. Okay, so number one, why did they need to go verify that? Why didn't somebody very close to this GDC Twitter account know that information right away? Why did they need like an hour to go? Uh, like, I'm glad they checked it out, but it's weird they didn't know how it worked. Number two, you can edit your contact information, yes, but you can't leave it blank. You can't take your, your, they, that was kind of a deflection, like, well, if you want to change your information, you can do it at this link. The, the quiet part is, we're still going to show it to our, you know, our business partners. Okay, well, you can't leave it blank. I'm sure a condition of attending is that you have to have valid contact information. So, and, and I'm sure if you do change it, if you're weirded out and you go, I'm going to change my address to the Wendy's down the street. I'm guessing when you change it back, because you'll probably need to for one, one reason or another, I'm guessing the sponsor's going to get that. I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing they're going to make that updated information available to anyone who paid for it. So if I met with here, here's my problem. If I met with fucking G fuel at GDC, why does G fuel get to know where my house is? 
Is there any good reason for that? So while we're kind of busy wondering what scammers could do with contact information for GDC, maybe we should talk about what GDC can do with information at, at GDC. If you go to uh, gdconf.com, gdconf.com, and click on the privacy link at the bottom of the page, you would think that only applies to the website, right? No, it spells out their event policies as well. So uh, the most damning paragraph is under the tab, how and why personal information is used. Listen closely to this. If your professional personal information is relevant to our products and is freely available through public sources, such as a website related to your work or profession, listed directories, press releases, industry publications, or if you provide it to us. To the extent permitted by applicable data protection laws, we may use such personal information in the products we provide to customers for example, in subscription products, research, industry analysis, and insights. Not only does this appear to give them free reign to sell your data to whoever they please, this seems to suggest to me that they may go scrape any other industry resource they can find, collect the information of people who don't even attend GDC, and sell their data too. Holy shit. If you, if you attend, they can use uh, photos and videos of you for marketing purposes. I, I can't believe how, how brazen they are about this. Like, this is a big corporation doing big corporation stuff. We act like GDC is like this big benevolent group. Not at all. Not really. This is a big corporation. Uh, when you think about GDC, decide to do whatever you want. I'm not saying don't support or don't go to GDC. Attend, don't attend. But remember to think of the event as a corporate thing run by Informa, which is a big corporation who does consulting and their big product is information and insight about you. So they happen to run GameDeveloper.com, formerly Gamma Sutra, if you didn't know that. Uh, scammers may or may not have your personal information, who knows? But GDC has it, and they have permission to do basically whatever they want with it. So the good news is, if you don't attend GDC, they might have your information too anyway. So enjoy! last left off the uh, red panda archaeology project we dreamed up with our friend boss fight author sebastian deacon i had the task of implementing a flexible dialogue system that we could use to check in with characters in the game so uh probably that would be used later to kick off a buying and upgrading system uh and so on so i'm happy to say that system is in place so i talked about the need for a custom class or a data type we could use for that in a production level game, I think that's true. The truth is we're staying so simple right now. I am just passing basic variables and string arrays back and forth and it works great. It works great. Uh, a lot of people would hear that and go like, what the hell's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm getting work done. I don't really care. So, uh, I did get to learn a little bit about how Godot approaches data storage for realsies, uh, for a situation like this. And it seems to me that the direction to go in a production situation would be going to Godot's resource system. So uh, this is an alternative to doing everything in JSON and developers be loving JSON, but uh, Godot presents this as nodes give you functionality, resources are data containers, nodes use the data contained in resources. So that's how to think of the node system and the resource system, which uh, is their go-to answer if you just want to store data with no attached functionality. So 
What's cool about the resource system is that you can create a script in Godot that can basically inform the editor what fields you want to store for your data type. Then that script can create a custom editor for you, like right in the inspector, like how you can expose data fields and stuff. You can uh, create an editor that'll let you create, edit, and save resources right there in the inspector. Uh, that's nice, obviously, because you don't really want to create those files by hand if you can avoid it. Because one false comma, one bad quote, and your data system doesn't work. And uh, you don't necessarily know why. Like, it's hard to track stuff like that down. You know how that goes if you've tried it. So, say we we got this demo done, and we could not get this game out of our system. We had to ship it. We had to go full production. I would be going in to convert this simple dialogue system of uh, variables and arrays to use resource files. Uh, this would introduce the opportunity for us to do localization later, like I talked about in the last show, uh, so we could get the player-facing text uh, properly translated for uh, and contextualized for international friends and players. Um, it's stuff we'd love to do for a demo, but uh, probably can't. <laughs> so for the sake of doing the impossible, which is a couple of people making a relatively playable, hopefully kind of fun game, uh, we have to do the roughest, dirtiest version of everything and keep moving. So that's what we're doing. For me, uh, our little test field scene that I've shown uh, is going to be complete enough to move on when I can uh, try to dig without a shovel, like I've been showing off already. Get that notice that like, nope, can't do that. Uh, I want to be able to walk to a character, uh, Dr. B in this case, uh, to learn that through the dialogue system, I can pick up a couple of coins, get my funding high enough to buy a shovel, go back and buy a shovel through the purchase screen, then go back to the dig pile, dig up whatever's under the dig pile with my new shovel. Currently, it's nothing. <laughs> um, and when I could do all that, I think this game will be mature enough, like the uh, basics the foundation will be advanced enough that we can do almost anything we want with this game after that. So if you've, if you've come this far in a similar game project, I don't know, maybe, maybe you'd tackle this in a different way. I tend to create a very small, I just pop the mic. Um, I, I create a very small area where you can test features and do little bit by little bit until you've got a pretty mature system that lets you do everything the game is supposed to do. So uh, when I get to that point, I want to make our demo map, which is going to be bigger, uh, a lot of little areas of interest connected to like a main village somehow, which is the setting for the game. And then I want to put the basics of a story in so that a demo player can maybe play through like a chapter of what the story would be, uh, get a sense of where things are headed. I want it to be like a proof of concept. So uh, I check in with Sebastian about this when I can. I've been bad about it because again, We've, I've been derailed for a week, so I'm looking forward to getting my notes together here, doing this episode, getting back in touch with him. I know he's busy, so like it's not cool of me to like check in once randomly every 15 days or something, but I want to get him in on the story, the map situation. He's been very nice about offering to uh, work on that, uh, but the, the derailment is completely my fault. My family got super sick again. And I've derailed. I am back on track now. So uh, in the rest of this episode, we're going to kind of discuss what I do when I get this far off track, because it's not that uncommon. And it, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it only matters if you stop coming back. Like if you stop moving, if you stop picking yourself back up, yes, then it's a failure. Then it's a dead project right now. 
no such thing. Like I can come back, get this thing back on track. And we're going to talk about how I do that in projects mentally or just in life in general. So uh, let's, let's jump into that. I've talked a lot on this podcast about my thoughts on motivation because it's, it's important. Uh, I've talked about how I got through bigger things I've accomplished, uh, what I've done to keep from getting overwhelmed. Um, in short, on that, I think we're all driven by different things. And I mean like very different things. Uh, some of them are healthy. Some of them are not. Some of them are true. Some of them are not. Uh, I think the majority of what keeps me laser focused is honestly spite. That's I know how that sounds, but it's, it's true. Like I think the majority of, of what keeps me going is spite that I picked up very early in life. Uh, I'm not saying that's optimal. Uh, my early life was a lot of bad interactions with my parents. Uh, I think they were pretty selfish people. Uh, I think they were not well, not healthy as people, and they didn't really have the capacity to give me a normal childhood or even let me have like bits and pieces of my own normal childhood. Uh, I felt like they had to fiddle with it and, and sort of keep me miserable with them. I think my worldview was shaped very early by those negative interactions with my parents. Um, Lack of opportunity to pursue things I was interested in, uh, lack of credit or praise or acceptance for a lot of things that I tried when I was young. And that definitely created a mechanism in me where uh, I, I need to be doing things. I need to escalate and do bigger things, whatever I'm interested in. Uh, I have I have a need to to kind of do stuff and look around like, did anyone see that? Does anyone accept me now? I here as an adult, I know that's not my value as a person. But uh, I also know that's the coping mechanism that I developed to kind of struggle and rage against the problems I had growing up. So um, that's why I was the 12 year old who walked across town to the library to borrow old computer books. And that's why I was the 17 year old who studied Xbox games instead of hanging out with friends. Um, uh, I, I was more interested in proving why I was valuable than just even just ex accepting the love and acceptance that other people started to offer me. Uh, when I got old enough to experience the world outside my house, like, I don't think I trusted people that easily. I don't think I accepted love that easily. We're getting very psychologically deep for the point I'm trying to make, but it's still very easy to talk about because I'm still doing it. Like my wife loves the shit out of me and I love the shit out of her. I've known that since we were teenagers, we were crazy about each other before either of us ever achieved anything in this world. And uh, if anything, I think my wife's life might be easier if I wasn't grinding away at projects and if I existed just to love and support our family. Um, and I, I do. I do love and support our family. Uh, I have I have no difficulty showing them love or affection. I think ask anybody. The, the truth is I can't I can't not also grind against stuff like this, not also create right try things, try projects, try to try to get on teams that are doing cool stuff. Like I don't have it in me not to do that. I have a lifelong score to settle with my parents that and we don't talk anymore. That's, that's how messed up parents can make you like, that's how badly parents can wound you. Some of you, most of you will listen to this and go, it's true. It's true. Uh, I, I heard it said once that everyone has just a gaping wound they deal with because of their parents. And that sucks because I'm a parent now. And I, the worst part is I believe it. Um, I, I try my best with my son. I'm not a perfect dad. And I'm sure that the, the same is going to be true for him. I think, 
I hope he'll look at our relationship as overall positive, but I'm, I'm not going to be perfect. And he will have stuff he deals with because of me, because of his mom. That's, that's a weird thing about how we grow up and, and how the world works. But, uh, I don't even talk to my parents anymore. So, I mean, there'll, there'll be a day eventually where I find out one or both of them have passed away and I will still be like this. I'll still be, you know, in, inside that kid inside me will still be grinding away at projects going like, do our, our mom and dad interested yet? Do they approve of me yet? Do they accept me yet? And that's sad and that sucks. But like the point is whatever motivates you, let it. And, and do something positive with it. So once you've tapped into motivation, that's never going to stop as long as you live. That's the point you, you, once you have that and you have that motor, you know, is never going to stop. All you need to do is have the right size tasks in your life for wherever you're at, for whatever your capacity is to do stuff. You just need the right size tasks after that. This it's, it's interesting. This is a theme right now because I'm also currently doing a writing workshop right now with like a six time Emmy nominated comedy writer who's worked for like Colbert key and peel, uh, mad TV SNL. Like this guy is legit. He's the best. He's it's been awesome. It's been an incredible opportunity. I haven't said much about it, but I'm having a blast with it. So like I bring that up because one of the first things he said was that he doesn't believe in writer's block and that that's controversial among writers. Like a lot of writers rely on being able to say, I have writer's block right now. It's just not happening. And he comes from a world where you can't really say that. Like if, if he says that in a writer's room, they go, well, shit, we got to find another writer, you know? <laughs> so, but the, uh, the point is when he says that he says, if you don't know what to do next, you don't have enough information. So projects are finished by breaking very small pieces off from a rock solid plan. So if you, if you don't know what to do next with a project, your rock solid plan isn't in place. And you need to ask more questions to go back and firm up that plan. So if you find yourself overwhelmed by a current step, it's too big. Those are really the only problems you should have. And, and both have simple solutions. Like the, the essence of all motivational advice I've ever given is one, you need to be tapped into that fountain of eternal motivation in your soul. It's, it's funny to put it that way, but that's what it is. You have to tap into what's going to keep you going forever, no matter what. Number two, you need a solid plan for your project that has answered all the right questions. Once that's done, number three, you need appropriate size tasks to tackle. And that may be different depending on what else you have going on. If all you can do is open your editor every day and make a couple of cha changes and then go to bed, that's what you should be doing. If you have paid time off and you could take three days off and spend two of them throwing yourself up against the project, then that's the right size. But whatever it is, you need to be doing the right tasks for, for the right capacity. Then finally, and this is a lot of what we're going to talk about today to master any part of your life. I believe you have to master all parts of your life. So either, and nobody's a perfect person. Nobody is completely 100% on top of every part of their existence. But I, I fully believe that if any major part of your life is off track, everything's off track. This is the most important thing I've learned since going independent. Um, if, if you don't have that full control over your life, when you look at your life, you have projects you want to do. You probably have a day job you're doing. 
You have personal responsibilities like paying taxes and paying bills. Uh, you have people close to you that you support and people who draw support from you. And then you have like social life, relaxation, that type of thing. I would lump all of that into personal responsibilities because life is about balance. So if you're not giving yourself those opportunities, you're out of balance. And the reason we're, we're going to talk about that is because game development culture and software culture big time has created this narrative that's been around for decades that says the people who are good at this are the people who obsess over it. And you hear the stories about young guys who moved into the same house in the nineties. Obviously I'm talking about id software uh, and, and develop for 30 hours a day and create these game changing projects. And now they're legends. That's fine. That's a cool story. The books about that are fun to read. It's a, it's basically a neat bedtime story that can't be your life. Not these days. And I'm sure it shouldn't have been their lives then. But obsession with one part of your life comes at the expense of some other part. That's just mathematically factual. That's uh, You only have so many hours in the day. So if you do 18 hours of development in a day, mathematically speaking, you're not going to sleep enough. You're not going to go further on your physical fitness. Uh, you're not going to do anything for your mental well-being. Uh, you, you aren't going to improve relationships with the people around you. And you could say, but hey, I need that 18 hours of development. But here's the proof. When one of those other things gets bad enough, development is going to stop dead and the project may die entirely. A big, a big breakup, being overdrawn at the bank, uh, a hit on your credit score, a health problem because you haven't stood up in six days. You, you can't sustain development when you can't sustain the rest of your life. So this, this sounds simple, but almost no one practices it. And, and almost no one is disciplined enough about this. So, uh, I mean, like we decided it was cool not to sleep. It's cool to prop yourself up with like bullshit chemical drinks. Uh, we, we brag about running on caffeine and pizza and shit. You're, you're going to get about 40 years less to work on your projects because that shit's going to catch up in a big way and maybe kill you. So gr grind culture didn't do us any favors. We talk about all this artificial crap we do to stay awake and alive just so we can work. And then we talk about burnout and we act like there was nothing we could do in the middle to prevent that. I mean, that's, that's ruining our lives for no reason. And this is what I'm talking about. Your family can't feel like you've locked yourself away. Like you're totally inaccessible. You can't let your body fall apart. You can't stress yourself out to the point where you're having like panic attacks. Here's why you're obviously you're not going to be well, your project isn't going to go well either. So, I mean, take a moment with that while I reiterate, you should not plan on your current project achieving anything because it probably won't. I still, I, I hear people constantly tell me, I'm finally doing it. I'm finally quitting my job to go indie. And I tell everyone the same thing. If you got that idea from me somehow, you weren't paying attention to anything I ever say. Almost no one should do that. Look at AAA. It, AAA development is almost unsustainable at this point. Everything results in a layoff. Almost everything results in a studio closure. Games go well and studios shut down right away. Uh, India is a better position to be in, but not if you want to put on like a mommy and daddy suit and pretend you're running it like electronic arts. That's not you. That's not the product you're going to put out and you will destroy your life that way. Game development for an indie is simply a way of life and it has to be part of a larger way of life that stays about discipline and balance, health, and peace. Uh, when I hear indies talk about launch dates while, while they're barely past a demo, 
I can't tell you how bad I feel for that person. Like there is no reason to live your life that way. You're not Bethesda. And guess what? Bethesda's not good at being Bethesda like that right now. Uh, you know, they're, look at what they do with their launch dates right now. We missed it. It's going to be six extra months. Why would a single individual need to set a date like that for themselves and then ruin their lives about it? You, you see those people who are like, I set this, I set this date to go live on Steam and now I have to stay up all night. Have to? No, you don't. Let me tell you about my first commercial game after I quit my regular job. I got obsessed. I'm speaking from experience. I coded during every possible moment because I convinced myself I had something to prove. I had just worked for 15 years in professional software and my self-worth was wrapped up in that skill set. That's the truth. If I couldn't hit the ground running as an indie, I, I didn't feel like my family had any reason to believe in me. That's the truth. I didn't want the people around me convinced like this was a mistake. He shouldn't have left his job. The truth is that that wasn't even the point of me leaving the workplace. I had a new kid. My wife was working full time at the hospital. It was either I left traditional employment or we had to ship our baby off to a daycare and we didn't want to do that. There, I mean, you know, th that's not a slight against people who have to do that. I understand. But like we had an opportunity not to do that and we wanted to not do that. So I, I was absolutely doing the job of being a dad, feeding the baby, taking care of diapers and all that stuff. But I was also coding with every spare moment. And I was thinking about code with every spare moment. I was irritable constantly. Like I wasn't sleeping right. I couldn't transition for shit. Like that, that's the truth. When it was time to step away from work to do something else, I was like a pissed off gorilla. I was confused. I was disoriented. Uh, I traded not just my peace of mind, but also my family's in return for getting myself established as a developer. Doesn't that sound stupid to hear me say that out loud now that I've realized that's what happened? That sounds stupid, right? It wasn't worth it. Guess what? Not only did my game not perform well, my mobile game, when I was fresh into the indie uh, scene, it never even passed Apple's payment threshold. That's how flat on my face I fell right out of the gate. I completely deluded myself into thinking that the only thing between me and success was my ability to sacrifice everything. Because that's what we teach game developers. That's what we're teaching kids who want to be game developers later. I say no. There's a better way. We'll talk about what I do when some part of life blows up, like the whole family gets sick in my case, or any of life's other big challenges that absolutely derail you. Let's talk about how I manage my life better and what I do when things go bad anyway, because they will. So the big reveal in the last segment was that even when I pull through development hell and I shipped my first commercial game, my life was still a mess. Like I personally was a mess. My work suffered and that was really the only part of my life I was truly paying attention to at times. So you can imagine how much worse everything else was. The path forward for me happened in small steps. Um, Realizing that game development was not going to take off like a rocket ship for me and fly my family to the moon. It sounds like a real no shit, but like it, it honestly took me some reflection and some acceptance to deal with that. Um, the work of understanding that helped me make some changes and uh, I was able to get a little more present with my family. I will admit that part of this was because I was able to get that project out of my system. Like, I was a rabid dog with a bone and I couldn't let go of that bone until I shipped that game. That was stupid. That was a, that was a pointless obsession. Uh, I couldn't 
I couldn't deal with it personally until I could tell people like, yes, I quit my job. Now I'm a game developer and I have shipped a game. I, I also had to internalize the harm I had done around the house because I had strained my relationship with my wife. My son wasn't getting as much attention as I could have given him. I had to accept that I did all that and the result was not worth it. I will have to live with that forever. And I'm grateful it was only a matter of months because if it was more, and as you know, developers spend years, years and years and find out it wasn't going to be worth it. Even if a game does pretty well, was it really worth it? For me, the next big thing I discovered was there were many ways for me to contribute and feel like I was doing fulfilling work for the betterment of my family. Uh, this was when I started freelance writing. This was when I launched Code Write Play. And yes, that's when I started Game Dev Breakdown. All you see here. Um, <clears throat> I love many things. Writing, conversation, learning, reading, making people laugh. I have a lot of passions and it doesn't make sense to let one thing dominate my life for any reason. Writing thankfully led me to revisit the way I organize my life. Game development requires a plan. That is true. You have to be planning. You have to have documentation. Writing, especially on the freelance side, requires actual organization in a way that I don't think game development necessarily does. If you want to work with other outlets as a freelance writer, you have to know what your editors want. Once you work with them, you have to organize interviews, sources, drafts, reviews, whatever it is, you can't let up on knowing like the what, the where, and the when. So a very short time after I started doing some freelance writing and some uh, contract software development, uh, which I've talked about, uh, my wife said she right away noticed a big change, like a big positive change in me right away. And I will tell you what, that felt a lot better than hitting submit on my first stupid mobile game to look at my wife and have her go like, you know what? Things are so much better with you. Like, hold, I'm embarrassed it had to come to that, but I was so grateful and I realized that I couldn't be happy and the people around me couldn't be happy and I couldn't be successful if I kept chasing that like hashtag hustle bullshit and like ignore everything else in my life. Again, it sounds, it sounds simple, but how many people do you know who are caught up in it? I bounced or as I started to get more organized and as you know, my wife noticed that change and I had better results in my life. I got, I got hooked on that. Like I got hooked, hooked on the, like, I won't say self-help, but like I got hooked on trying to figure out the best way to organize and execute in my life. So I bounced around and tried a lot of things. Let me skip to the good ones. First of all, bullet journaling. I've said these words, you've seen me tweet about it, I've not gotten to talk about it on the podcast or the website, so let's do that now. Bullet journaling changed my life. It, it, did, it didn't just help me track what was going on around me, it helped me fill in some of the gaps I had, because as a, as a kid, I didn't have like well-organized people in my life to sit me down and go, hey idiot, here's what you have to do so your life doesn't like kick your ass and then pass you by. I didn't have people in my life who like I had functional adults in my life, but I don't think they had a good system of doing things they were able to pass on to me. If you are not familiar with bullet journaling, I swear we're not going to get culty or weird. It is a uh, productivity system developed by a guy named Ryder Carroll, who, um, who is like a, uh, I think he's like a graphic designer who happened to find a, a clever way to organize things. Um, so he's got a, a best-selling book, but 
really all it is, is a method for organizing a notebook, any notebook. It doesn't have to be a special product. If you have like an empty spiral notebook, you can learn bullet journaling and use it to immediately change, I would say, everything. There are going to be people who are so organized, they don't need this kind of thing. That wasn't me. I needed all the help I could get. This was it. So um, the, the poor guy does offer various like products and classes. The truth is just that he invented something genius that doesn't necessarily have to cost anything. So you can basically do it for free. Um, again, not culty, not pyramidy. It's all just like get things done methodology. Um, they used to offer a guide on the bullet journal website. And I think they realized that if they do that, they're never going to earn any money. So they developed like an online class you can do. I've never done the course. Uh, it's expensive. I have no idea if it's worth it or not. I got started by reading a little about it on the site. And then I bought the Kindle book for like 14 bucks. There's, I think it's just called bullet journal. That was more than enough to get going. And I swear the methods in that book were a game changer for me. Maybe just because of the gaps I had. I literally, I started with a blank notebook I had sitting on my bookshelf, like down in my library. And when I got hooked on it, like my wife did buy me like a blank empty planner, just a nice little planner book as a gift. And uh, something like that is perfect. Any notebook, any pen, and you can do this. So I'm not going to go through step by step on all that stuff. I'm not going to step on their toes. The book is very good at that. I, if you want to do bullet journaling, I do think you could at least get the book. It's You can get it cheap. And um, I, I'm happy to put a link in the show notes at CodeWritePlay.com. But the, uh, the whole thing is that you take an absolutely blank notebook, you create an index at the front, and that index tracks different spreads you create. If you open the notebook to two pages left and right, that's one spread. And uh, if you do more than two pages, you can look at it as a collection of pages. And um, your index helps you track those collections of things you're tracking or writing or whatever it is. If you ever tried to use one notebook in school, this is the best way I could explain this. The big problem for me is like I would have a big notebook and I would try to to track like multiple classes in that notebook. And the big problem is like you'll do a few pages of math, a few pages of science, and then you're back to math the next day and your notebook is weird and segmented. So in in the bullet journaling system, the index helps with that. And then you can also leave yourself like a trail by numbering the pages. And at the bottom, if you have to skip some pages, you write down the page number to jump to. So you can start at the first page of your math stuff and using those, the, that sort of breadcrumb trail, you can go through all your math pages, one right after another, no matter how segmented they are in the notebook. And I, I like, why don't we teach kids that? Something that simple. Like, why don't we teach students to do that by default? I had never even heard that concept. Again, it should have been a no brainer. It's something I had never thought about. And right away, I was able to make better use of notebooks. What, what, what would that have cost anyone? <laughs> like, what the hell? That's the kind of thing you do to track all your notes throughout this journal. The kinds of collections you make are like, there's like a future log, which is basically like a list calendar where you just put dates, what's going to happen, and you mark them off as you go through them. You can do a weekly log where you summarize like your experiences at the end of the day very briefly and track like daily habits you're working on. So for me, cooking was a big one, exercise, mindfulness, stretching. Those are all things I tracked at one time or another while you're trying to like work on good habits, um, wherever your priorities are. 
uh, that's an opportunity for you to track meaningful data on what you're doing, which is, that's a big deal. Then there's the daily log, which is kind of the essence of the bullet journaling system. And that's a system you use like very simple, like symbols to rapidly log and track what's going on during the day. So your, your actual like daily to do, you, you track it, you mark stuff off, you add to it. And then at the end of the day, you copy over the remaining to do items on your next daily log. So the customization comes in when you decide to make extra collections for like whatever it is you're all about. Like for me, a big one was reading notes. I read slowly. I have a bad memory. So I would read books and like write down the stuff I wanted to remember. Um, you could do many design documents. You can do journaling, whatever, like it becomes anything you need. So I did this for a full year religiously, I used this system for a full year with, without deviating from that system at all. And, and like it, it made huge positive changes. Like I was on it. So then what happened? First thing we've, we've hinted at this on the show. I've not been able to speak a lot about it, but I ran into a new kind of professional opportunity along the lines of project management. And if that went well, it was going to maybe lead to some like light, film production work. So that's a big deal. I haven't said a lot about that, which was wise because there have been some like hangups since then, hoping it still comes through. But um, I did have opportunities to start loosely like running a team through some stuff as a project manager that I've worked in software for a lot of years now. Um, that was my first taste of bum bumping up to project management work. And I damn sure don't have any experience as a film producer. So I've, I've been doing a lot of research about, um, how to do that work to the best of my ability. So I had some new needs basically. So I tried to get into some of the go-to like project management books for dummies and all that, that reading will suck out your will to live. I, I don't know what kind of person loves project management, like jargon. It's, it's not me. Like I will never be a classically trained project manager. Cause it, it's not worth it to me. <laughs> if I have to, if I have to live and breathe in like those big giant project management certified, like manuals and stuff, I mm, no. but I did run into a bestseller by a guy who came up with a, um, this guy was a project manager and he has his own, uh, getting things done methodology, literally called getting things done. You may have heard of that, seen that it's been around for a while. I did read through almost all of that book, but you know, no, no shade intended. I didn't find it as, as valuable as bullet journal, to be honest. Um, there were some awesome things I picked up from the author of that GTD book. Um, one was sort of his like purge method of just like, if you come in your office and there's a bunch of bullshit laying around, that's keeping you from being productive. Like he's, he's a big proponent of coming in that room, literally just piling all of it up somewhere and forcing yourself to just stand there and go through like one by one, whether it's like papers, books, clothes, food, shutting up your space. Um, you just, you make a big pile. Don't put the clothes in the food, but make a pile and go through one by one and deal with each one of those things till it's gone. And then you can, you, you're in a clean space. You can, you can be organized. Um, Another big thing for him was to divide up your to-do items by location, which is smart. For me, that means keeping track of stuff I need to do while I'm in my office, which actually isn't that often here lately. Um, it's not every day. 
there's, there's stuff I can do anywhere I have my laptop. There's stuff I can do anytime I'm at home. So like I used that to modify my bullet journaling and that's been helpful too. Like that's been a big deal too. GTD calls for a lot of physical stuff at a time when I wanted to use less physical stuff. So if, if you have an office with a bunch of like files and folders and stuff, you may get more out of it. I don't have that at all. I've got two empty file cabinets in here with all, I mean, almost nothing. I think my social security cards and one of them, I hope, I don't know, but that's where I started to feel like I may be far along enough that I could kind of branch off and do my own thing at this point. My wife and I looked at bullet, bullet journaling together and she couldn't get past this part. She was like, what do you even do with all this paper that you've used to track stuff? These big notebooks, you're just going to fill up and stuff. And there's no great answer for that. Um, the official bullet journal answer is that you would label it with, the month and year you started that journal to the month and year you finished it. And then you literally just like file it away on a bookshelf and you'll have it for reference later, which is fine. Um, there's a bullet journal app you can use if you want to catalog everything and even like scan, like take photos of each page and go through. And then you can like, theoretically you can like do text search and I don't, I don't really necessarily trust that to perfectly bring up all my, my writing, uh, maybe, maybe it's fine, but at what point do you go? Maybe I should move past paper. If I'm doing all this, um, people argue that handwriting kicks off like different processes in the brain. I, I believe that may very well be true. That may lead to better retention. That's fine. I think there's also an issue of diminishing returns because at some point you're overloaded. You're writing by hand for half the day. Your hands hurt. And stuff is falling through the cracks. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think bullet journaling has a lot going for it. I think some of the techniques, particularly about how to set up a notebook, um, they, again, they should teach that in school. Like, oh my God, everybody should, everyone should at least hear that and either use it or, or don't. But with, with some new stuff on the horizon and a new sense of like, this, this gave me a sense of comfort that like I could be organized in my own life. In the next section, I will give you a look at how I currently organize everything in my life and what I do when things get off track. To make the most sense of what I'm currently doing, organizationally speaking, I got to take you on a side quest here and talk about Markdown. That may, that may be a surprise. A couple of years ago, I didn't know what Markdown was, and now I'm using it for almost everything I do. If you are not familiar, and maybe you're not, uh, Markdown is a markup language that Markdown is a markup language that lets you very simply use symbols and like shorthand uh, to rapidly format a document as you're typing it, which is awesome. I'm a guy who needs well-formatted documents for everything. If it's a pitch, a product documentation, an article, I need close control over everything in a file. I need it to look right. I need it to be easy to find and follow. So when I first learned what Markdown was, I went, okay, cool. But where would I use that? I think you could use it for um, formatting on like GitHub. I think that was about it at the time. Uh, now I feel like you can do everything with it. You can enable Markdown in WordPress so I can blog with it. You can use it in uh, Google Docs now. And um, finally, if you are familiar with the Obsidian note-taking app, you can use it to fantastic effect there. 
Um, I work way faster now because of Markdown. I am a big fan. So uh, try it if you haven't. Around Christmas time, I decided it was time to take my modified bullet journal method all digital. So no more paper, no more pens. Uh, to do that, I had to be able to sync between my PC, my laptop, my iPhone, and my iPad. So, uh, and yes, those were all just about equally important because I need to be able to pull up a grocery list at the store. I've got to be able to write for a couple hours at my desk. I've got to go over plans on my laptop. I need to be able to tap away on the iPad while we're doing like homeschool stuff. These are all legit, real requirements for me. So by this time, I had fiddled with Obsidian a little bit to organize like writing projects and stuff. For whatever reason, the thought had never occurred to me to try to set up one Obsidian vault, which is what they call like, if you, if you know about OneNote, it's the same thing as a OneNote notebook. So I never thought about trying to take one vault and doing a whole digital journal to like organize my whole life. So uh, to try it, I had to really be sure I could get syncing to work. And as it turns out, Obsidian and Dropbox won't do it. So um, because of that, and instead of figuring that out, I guess, um, Obsidian has a sync service that goes between your devices and it costs a whole $10 per month. And I, I say that knowing full well for what that is, that's pretty steep. Like that's like a, an extra streaming service. I also knew if it worked really well for me personally, it would be very worth it. So I'm here to tell you friends, it turned out to be worth it for me. I don't know if it'll be worth it for you. I'm not, they're not going to give me a dime. I'm sure to say this for me, it worked out. Um, I started a synced vault called journal and I've been working out of that ever since. So months and months now, um, everything is accessible on my phone. Uh, I did do notes for this episode in it. So whatever I do, obsidian is ready to handle it. So that's been great. A lot of what I do still comes from the bullet journal methodology. So I do maintain a future log, uh, no matter what other services, what other calendars, Google calendar outlook, I track my own appointments, my meetings, uh, calendar stuff in a simple list with checkboxes. Obsidian has a, a shortcut where you can type like dash left bracket, right bracket, and it will make a functioning checkbox that you can check and it will cross off that line. I use, I use that every single day. So I, I have a big long list of uh, calendar stuff that I keep up. Not only can I do my daily task list in a new file each day, Obsidian has a plugin that will create a, like a date coded file for me. So you can format this to create the file using any name you want. So I, I do like year dot month dot day, whatever. And it, it starts a new empty file like that every day using the current date and opens to that page for me when I open my vault for the first time on whichever device like that new, that new empty day file is ready to go. Love that. Uh, I have folders for content creation where I make notes for blogs, podcasts, humor writing to submit to outlets. Um, I have a journal directory, meeting notes, projects, a daily schedule that I try to follow that I can, you know, adjust as I go. The uh, grocery list, weightlifting progress. I have, I have everything in there and I can do as much or as little with it as I need for the moment I'm in. Because let me tell you, when a branch of your life goes off the rails, development, health, mental well-being, social stuff, work, whatever it is, whatever you're doing day to day to track everything, you're probably going to drop it for a while. 
you're, you're, you're probably going to fall off with it. You guys heard me talk about being sick about a month ago now. I had like one healthy week after I got sick and then my family caught something else. First, it was our son and our kid. He is nothing like me in this regard. He is a trooper when he's sick. I'm the opposite of that. I am complaining to anyone who will listen if I can speak at all. I'm kind of doing it now. So you never know how bad it is when he's sick. Turns out it was pretty bad because I got it next. It's been hell on earth for weeks. It's still kind of bad today. My throat swelled up, caused blinding pain when I tried to swallow. So I was taking like ibuprofen just for my throat. Uh, it got into my head, my lungs, my nose, my ear shut up. And it's still not quite like I'm still not hearing the way I should be. Uh, my wife has it now. My son's still recovering. I'm still recovering. And now my wife is in the worst of it. It's been a disaster. I've skipped some events that I paid to go to. I'm going to skip another one that's starting in about one hour today. Um, we're trying to get work shifts covered for her, even though we're both remote. Like we are a mess around here. So have I been journaling? No, I have not. Because there's almost no point. I had to skip the podcast last week. You would not have understood a word I said if I tried to get on the mic last week and it would have hurt me to try. So I was having crazy fevers and stuff, waking up sweating all night. So my ideas probably wouldn't have been that great either. I tried to play games. More often I was either reading, watching something on my phone, or just literally staring at the ceiling, completely miserable. So no, I wasn't tracking any monthly goals or, you know, <laughs> trying to improve my daily habits. Definitely wasn't working out. Here's the thing. Something like that does not have to derail you forever. With a good journaling system, you're basically concentrating the whole process of reclaiming control into that process of putting your notes back together. So it's kind of nice catching up with, um, like if I catch up my future log full of calendar appointments, I can look at those monthly goals, see how I need to adjust. I still haven't done mine because this is the first big thing I've tackled since we all got sick, but I am looking forward to it. Like it's, it is nice to finish that process and feel on top of everything again. And I've never found another process quite like that. So I know that when my notes are up to speed, when my old dailies are filed away, maybe I'll write a journal entry talking about what happened. Uh, I know I'm going to feel in control again, and I pretty much will be. So all that's to say, as for where you can start with something like this, if what I'm doing sounds like bullshit, that's fine. Thank you for listening. Everyone has different needs. Um, somehow I, I pissed people off with this one thing years ago because they thought <laughs> I said something about Trello and people thought I was some kind of Jira shill. And I don't really know who Jira is. It's, I guess it's the company that runs Trello. We've definitely never been in business together. I can promise you that it'd be nice. Um, but I've, I've talked about using a Trello board. All Trello is, is Kanban, Kanban, Kanban. I don't know how you like to pronounce it, but uh, the Kanban methodology is a very light project management method where you just have, it's like note cards and columns, right? You've probably seen it to do, doing, done, maybe something for like blocked or whatever. I've, I've done something as simple as that. I've used big legal pads. I, I believe most people need some way to organize their lives and it kind of doesn't matter what you do. Like, if it has all the key elements, it lets you fully commit things to your journal or your list or whatever, so they can be out of your brain without the risk of like losing them. That's fine. 
I mean, because then you can commit to that killer plan we talked about earlier. That that big plan for your projects, for your life, for yourself. And you can start knocking stuff off by taking off those bite-sized tasks, finishing them, going back to the plan, shipping off something else, knocking it out. That's the kind of step-by-step progress that turns into a finish line. It turn, It drags you across the finish line, turns into a finished product. And that's how you get stuff done. All right, as always, if you enjoy Game Dev Breakdown, I could really use a follow or a subscribe anywhere you're listening or watching. We have show notes at CodeWritePlay.com. Uh, you can reach out on Twitter at GameDevPod, at CodeWritePlay, or to me directly, Todd Mitchell, at MechaToddZilla with one D and two L's. There's uh, there's going to be more dev work to talk about next time, because I'm back in the saddle, baby. So uh, expect that. I hope you knock out some to-dos on your personal projects this week, and I will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>